en hartelike goeiemorgen, welkom by ons program Skriftierik, waar ons wekelijk saam na oplossing soek uit die skrifte, vervra waarmee gewone mense sikkel. Die Bijbel sê in Johannes 17, 17, die woord is waarheid, heilig hulle na die woord, en Psalm 119, 105 sê, die woord is een lamp vir my voete en een licht vir my pad. Kom dan saam met ons vir die volgende uur, wanneer ons geen steen onaangeraak laat, om die waarheid te vind en licht te skyn op die vraag uit die skrifte, waarmee ek en jy moendik kan worstel nie. Krijg dus gauw jou bybel en kom onderzoek saam met ons die skrifte. Dis moes nou skriftierlik. Our family is just getting bigger and bigger. Welcome to 657 AM. Yeah, that's where you tune to, 6.57 a.m. Warm-hearted good morning to you from God's Footstool here in Kilner Park in Pretoria. Trust to find you well, that you can say with all believers, indeed, this is part of the day that the Lord has created, and we are joyful and glad to be part of the family of God. Good morning to you. Skriftierlik die naam van die program. Ons keir saam vir die volgende uur tot en met 12 uur vanmorgen. And with me in studio, as always on a Tuesday morning, faithfully every Tuesday, and uh, he's not new anymore. He's part and parcel of the radio pulpit family pastor, Rocky Stevenson. Rocky, bless your heart. Thank you so much. What was the trip like uh, coming here to radio pulpit this morning? Oh, it was great, man. I was listening to a wonderful podcast by Generations Radio by Kevin Swanson, Adam McManus. They've got this wonderful worldview thing. And, man, it was a joy to listen to. And they were looking at Europe. And so... Yeah, I got a good view of Europe while I was driving on the N1. <laughs> yeah, it's a wonderful way of keeping yourself entertained and uh, fill your spirit in the man with these things. Right, so for the next hour, for the volgende year, as jy een vraag het uit die Bible het, wat uh, jy dalk nie verstaan nie, iets wel me jy sikkel, we, we tackle lifestyle questions as well. You're most welcome to uh, WhatsApp it through to us. That's the only way we take questions on WhatsApp, typed out and kindly, can I request that you put in the screen scriptures which makes reference of your question the, the the very thing that you don't understand in God's word if you can just uh, put that in for us it helps us here in studio to find the scripture quickly and um, well open up all the logos bible programs and can I say this we have prayed beforehand before we came into the studio we have asked the Lord Lord guide us that what we share here is not in the flesh but in the spirit and so if God, uh, through His grace, grant you perhaps another perspective, misschien een ander invalshoek, laat weet vir ons, stuur het vir ons op WhatsApp en sê, manne, daai skrif wat julle nou oor praat, vanuit hierdie hoek like dit so. I love to get your input into this program. Not only questions, but get your input to this question as well. Rocky had quite a response last week. Uh, we had a whole discussion on the end times, the rapture, what it means, and you had quite a number of people contact you via email. Yes, yes, indeed, and it was such a joy to actually have the folk reach out that way, and we generally give the email address past at bononibiblechurch.co.za, and so I had, I had at least, I think it was about five emails from different listeners, and then there was a bit of interaction, so it really was um, quite a quite a joy to see that our listeners are engaging and just really enjoying. Mm, and the, quite an interest in the in-time yeah. events, isn't it? No, definitely, and... Um, it's, I think, especially in a day like ours where we've seen some strange things happening you know, around our world, I guess we, 
we wouldn't have thought maybe four years ago we would have gone through some of the season we have this last little while. Yeah, well, look at Pakistan at the moment. The monsoon rains, the flash floods, and the incredible amount of chaos that has uh, unfolded in Pakistan. In And the Pakistani people uh, who are supposed to live in, in desert, uh, arid uh, region, and these flash floods, and it's just the, the aches and pains the earth is going through. Uh, can you wrap it up for us? You still have it on your heart. We spoke about the rapture and the end times uh, prophecies that we see in God's word. And we, we had a big part of the program um, that we uh, allocated to this. Um, but you still have some stuff on your heart that you want to wrap it up before we carry on with the program this morning. Yeah, I think um, one of the areas that I'm seeing so much in our world around us is there's so much confusion regarding these things, which the Word of God clearly lays out for us. The, the problem isn't with God's ability to communicate. The problem is with us to actually understand what God says. Yeah. And He lays out much for us within the Scriptures. And part of the intention of eschatological passages, that's, doctrines of the end times is to encourage the believer as they're a pilgrim on the earth now and as they are to be a voice box in a sense of proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into marvelous light we're to be encouraged because anyone that seeks to live a godly life in christ will be persecuted and so eschatological realities of the scriptures give us hope and it gives us courage and we can face today because we know that he lives as that song wonderfully yes, uh, sings lives, yeah. and so i did want to to touch just on what i what i hit on at the end of our program last time just looking at some of the events and got questions is a wonderful site that you could always go look at uh, www.gotquestions.org in the word and they are excellent what mm. an excellent um resource and they've got a section that touches on the events of the end times and i did touch on it briefly last time but i wanted to just hit through that again briefly in the beginning of the show this morning the next eschatological event that is to happen is the rapture of the church yeah and what's helpful about realizing that is that when there's all of this like almost this lunacy regarding a bunch of other things and people are getting so caught up with this thing and that thing and here's the mark of the beast or that's the mark of the beast or this is the Antichrist or the rapture will take place on this date or that date. This exact date is when it will happen and they actually land up being false prophets and then a few months later they bring out a new YouTube video and that gets as many views as the last one because these things tend to actually get a lot of people very anxious. Whereas eschatological truth for the Christian and the, the, the imminence of the return of Christ ought to actually fill the Christian with great hope and great joy. So the next eschatological event is the rapture of the church. That is that Christ comes in the cloud to snatch away all those that trust in him. First Corinthians 15 verse 52. At this same time, the dead in Christ will be resurrected and taken to heaven too. And that's the passage we looked at uh, briefly on in First Thessalonians chapter 4. I actually preached on that this last Sunday evening at our church, if you want to go and listen to some about First Thessalonians 4. And so the dead in Christ are raptured and they come with him. And, and from our perspective today, this is the next event in the eschatological timeline. Uh, the rapture is imminent. It's soon. No other biblical prophecy needs to be fulfilled before the rapture happens. There's nothing else waiting for this. So right. 
even Paul did his ministry with great urgency, knowing that, hey, the rapture can happen soon. So we, we should ready? Live, sure, we should live with expectant hearts. Maybe Definitely. this day, maybe tomorrow. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow. Yeah. The same way in which Christ came in the fullness of time in his first coming, so he will in his second coming. Um, and in the rapture. The next event after the rapture will be the rise of the Antichrist. And you can think through this in a logical way. When the church is raptured and we see the Holy Spirit is removed, who's the restrainer, and then you can imagine the rampant wickedness upon this earth when the church is no longer there, you have what's also called the great apostasy. Because if you have the whole church, who's the true church of Christ, those that are born again, that leave this earth with the Holy Spirit, then you have those that are not the true church that have been part of this religiosity and the box ticking and you know works-based kind of a religion. There's a turning away completely from Christ. And so then you have the rise of the Antichrist that takes place. After the church um, is taken out of the way, in Second Thessalonians 2 verse 7 to 8 is the passage that touches on that, there's a satanically empowered man who will gain worldwide control with promises of peace. Revelation 13 verse 1, Daniel 9 verse 27. He will be aided by another man who's called the false prophet who heads up a religious system that requires worship of the Antichrist. We see that in Revelation 19, verse 20. The next event after that on the calendar of events is the tribulation, which is that seven-year period where the Antichrist then seems to take the fall. Um, He really gains much more prominence around the three-and-a-half-year mark. But this period of seven years is where God judges, and his judgment is poured out on sinful humanity in Revelation 6 to chapter 16 the antichrist's rise to power is associated with this time period and during the tribulation on earth the church will be in heaven and the church is having jubilee in heaven because the church has the judgment seat of christ which is called the the bema seat of christ as well as the marriage supper of the lamb and so the church is rejoicing in heaven while there is this real retribution and the wrath of god on earth um, in on, in that seven year period, and the lamb will uh, will have that lab, that marriage feast with the lamb. Second Corinthians five verse ten is the reference, as well as Revelation nineteen verse six to ten. The next event is the battle of Gog and Magog. In the first part of the tribulation, a great army from the north, in alliance with several other countries from the Middle East and Africa, attack Israel. And this comes at around the three-and-a-half-year mark of the tribulation. We have the mass turning of the Jews. There's 144,000 that are Jewish evangelists. And Israel, at that time, turn, and they realize that the one that they actually didn't believe in the, they, that they didn't see as the Christ actually was the Christ, the yeah. one that they had that they had killed, and this antichrist who there's this abomination of desolation where he sets himself up in the temple of God. The temple will be rebuilt. There's all the plans for that to be rebuilt, it's but already at the place. moment in the Temple Mount is the um, the Dome of the Rock, yeah. and there's tensions there all the time. Yeah. Jerusalem, which is meant to be yeah, the city of mosque peace, and all these things, yeah. I mean, they've never really known peace. Yeah. Um, they've, they've been wiped out so many times, but then rebuilt so many times. But this, this army then will attack Israel um, past the three-and-a-half-year mark. And we see this in Ezekiel 38 to 39. And some commentators place this battle just before the start of the tribulation. I think it's more or less towards the middle of the tribulation period. The fifth 
thing um, that really actually sparks all of this or is part of sparking this is the abomination of desolation, as I touched on, where there's this, this at the midway point of the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel and he shows his true colors. And this is what sparks that anger towards Israel in many respects. And the Jews are scattered and many of them are torn um, um, in in, in different parts of yeah. the, the world But they also turn to the Lord They realize that Jesus is the Savior And this great persecution breaks out against those that believe in Christ We and see I, this in Daniel 12 verse 11 mm. Mark 13 verse 14 Revelation 12 verse 17 And I believe that, that that persecution will make the Jewish Holocaust look like a Sunday school picnic No, definitely You actually yeah. see even Zechariah 14 How half of of Jerusalem proper, the city is actually destroyed just before the end of the seven-year tribulation. Horrendous and, um, I mean, just really horrendous. You don't want and to be on this earth when these things yeah. start unfolding. No, definitely not. Yeah. But we do see that even as these things are so dark, there's yeah. so much hope because you have these 144 Jewish evangelists, and it, it seems that they are really successful because many of the nations turn within the tribulation period, and they get slaughtered. I mean, you've got the tribulation martyrs yeah. that the scriptures teach of who then have that second resurrection after this, after the rapture and the resurrection of the dead in Christ that First um, Thessalonians 4 teaches of. So then you have the battle of of Armageddon, which really it, it's just this culmination of the buildup of the hatred of the nations against Israel, and it's the end of the tribulation. Jesus returns with his armies from heaven in Matthew, uh, sorry, Mark fourteen uh, sixty-two, and he saves Jerusalem from annihilation, and he defeats the armies of the nations that are fighting under the banner of the Antichrist. You see this in Revelation nineteen verse eleven to twenty-one, but also that passage in Zechariah fourteen, where his feet come and stand on the mountain. Yeah, of Olives, yeah. the very place where he ascended yeah. is now where he descends, and in his in his second coming, this he, he destroys all of these armies that are against him, and this is this is where there's a lot of confusion, where people often lump in the rapture and the second coming together, and then they miss out on all of these other events that right. God speaks about, and they miss out on the bema seat of Christ, where the church is judged before him and the marriage supper of the of the lamb we come with him at the second coming having already participated in the marriage supper of the lamb and the antichrist and the false prophet are captured and they are both thrown into the lake of fire we see this in revelation 19 verse 20 uh, we we don't believe that the that this that satan is now bound there will be a time where satan will be bound and Revelation 19 verse 20 speaks about a time like that coming and, and also a time when he will eventually be fully judged. But there will be a time where for a thousand years he is bound and, and actually doesn't have the sway that he has over the nations in our world. And we can look and see the sway of Satan in the nations around us, even in the, the great, um, let's say, decline, even within the Western falling world. falling away, yeah. Um, the judgment of the nations is then the next kind of eschatological event and Christ will judge the survivors of the tribulation and he will separate the righteous from the wicked as sheep and goats Matthew 25:31 to 46 it is thought that at this time the old testament saints will also be raised from the dead we're not sure exactly how that will work out I'm of the opinion that they raised at the same time as the dead in Christ are raised at um, in, as what 1 Thessalonians 4 but there's other commentators that hold to a slightly different view but the righteous will enter into then the millennial kingdom, and the wicked will be cast to hell in that, as they judge the dead in Christ in that sense. 
and the nations that are left of all of the world will repopulate. And for that thousand years, there will be a wonderful time, almost a utopia that so many of us long for, where yeah. the lion lies down with the lamb, the adder, the child's able to play at the at the hole of an adder and not get harmed. If somebody dies in their hundreds, he'll be dying as a young man. So we'll have something of a restoration period of something of what it was like before the flood, um, what it was meant to be like in the Garden of Eden. And Christ reigns literally from Jerusalem, and we reign with him, those that are his saints. But we also see that at the beginning of that period, there's the binding of Satan. Satan will be bound. He'll be held in a bottomless pit for the next thousand years. As I heard a good explanation of the bottomless pit recently from Kurt Scali, a wonderful preacher, and uh, he talked about how how could it not be that that this bottomless pit is in the middle of the earth because that doesn't have a pit, a sphere doesn't have a bottom. Yeah. It always is continuous. And many have alluded and believed that hell is or this bottomless pit is the middle and center point of the earth. We're not too sure of that, but the Bible says it's a bottomless pit. You see this in Revelation 20, verse 1 to 3. Then we have the millennial kingdom of Christ, this thousand year where Jesus himself will rule the world and Jerusalem will be the capital. For this thousand year period, he, there's peace and there's prosperity on the earth. Revelation 20 touches on this. Isaiah chapter 60 to chapter 62 touches on this. Memorial sacrifices will be offered. There will be a rebuilt temple in that sense in Jerusalem. And Ezekiel 40 to 48 touches on this. And you can see even uh, again, Zechariah 14, where you have the Feast of Booths, where the nations come and they dwell in booths once a year to celebrate as Jesus reigns literally on the earth. And then you have the last battle right at the end of the thousand years, at the end of the thousand years. And this is, you just see the depravity of man once more, where they've had perfect government for a thousand years. But Satan is loosed. He's released from his prison cell for a short time. And you see that heart of man's Desire to turning be, away. Yes, immediately turning away. Darkness. And this desire to be independent of God, to say, yeah. we don't want anything to do with God. We want his bonds cast away from us. And he will deceive the nations once again, and there will be a rebellion against the Lord that will be quickly defeated. Revelation 20, verse 7 to 10 touches on this. Satan will be cast into the lake of fire, and he will never reappear. And this is where the end of the world, in a, in a sense, is starting to come and unravel from. And then you have the great white throne judgment, not to be confused with the beamer seat of Christ yeah, yeah. that happened in that seven-year tribulation. This is right at the end of that thousand years. And all those that are in hell will be brought forth. All the wicked from all eras of history will be resurrected to stand before God in final judgment. Revelation 20 verse 11 to 15 touch on this and the verdicts are read and all of sinful history are cast into the lake of fire along with where satan has been cast that has been prepared for satan and his demonic hordes and so they're cast into this lake of fire right now the lake of fire exists but there's no occupants of the lake of fire We have like hell, what, what's called hell Gehenna, where it's, it's almost as a, a, a hell waiting room. There's still torment there, but the end judgment comes right at the end of the age. And then you have the most hopeful part, in a sense, at the end of this, um, which is the new creation, where God completely remakes the heavens and the earth. In, it is a time that God wipes away all tears. I love to, even again, Kurt Scully said that all of our human existence can be summed up as tears tears. I mean, that's our human existence. That's what it's been like since the Garden of Eden 
when Adam and Eve sinned against Our God, it's been nature. tears. Mm. We have even we've brought forth food by sweat, but but there's been tears involved. It's yeah. been painful. It's been hard. There's a time coming where God will wipe away all tears, and there will be no more pain, no more death. No more sorrow. The new Jerusalem descends from heaven and the children of God will enjoy eternity with him. Revelation 21 to 22. Some other views of eschatology, of course, would would not hold to this. I was asked that question, what are some of the other views? There's mid-tribulationalism or there's amillennialism or there's partial preterism. There's some other views of end times that won't hold to this outline. But I believe that as we see the biblical outline, we're actually filled with so much hope. And it gives us courage to live today to the glory of God because all things that are wrong will be made right. right. And this pilgrimage, though it's hard, we have grand hope, don't we? We have a risen Savior and we have a Lord Jesus who will have all of his enemies underneath his feet. You know, Psalm 2 comes to mind as you think through why the kings of the earth are busy raging. And we see that in our day. We see so many that are raging against Christ. They've forgotten the Creator. They worship images and not God. And yet Christ will reign and he will Every knee reign shall supreme. Bow. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. So then it's better for us to do that now while yeah. we're alive yeah. to confess him as Lord. Rocky, can I ask you, if somebody, uh, you know, playing in the theater of my mind that you colored in this whole picture of end time eschatology events unfolding, there might be people who says, I want to I want to go check it out. I want to go jot it down, check it out to go to the scriptures that you mentioned. Can they contact you uh, via email and you forwarded that to them? Would that be possible? Yes, yeah, no, of course they can. It's right. um, pastor at bononibiblechurch.co.za. All right. There you have it. Alternatively, you can download the program. It will be available on podcast right after this uh, morning's uh, program. Give me around about uh, 15 minutes, uh, right about quarter past 12. You can listen to it again. Jot it down. Check it out for yourself. We say this often on this program. It's good to listen to Rocky, Vaynard, Radio Pulpit, your pastor, minister, but ultimately the highest authority known to mankind, God's Word, the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with Christ, the Word was Christ. It is God Himself, His Word. That is the highest authority known to mankind. And search the scriptures to see if these things are so. Thank you so much, uh, Rocky. With that, we walk away from this uh, end-time eschatology and uh, the unfolding events of what lies ahead. Well, the rapture could be next, but uh, stand by. Stand by. There's still a lot to happen on the prophetic uh, calendar, uh, things to come. And... uh, Well, we've read the last page of the book. We know we as the redeemed in Christ, uh, expectant hearts awaiting the Lord. Are you 100% sure you are reborn, you are saved? Yeah, I'm asking you, listening at the radio right now, to this program, will you be part and parcel of that? The weed or the tares? The sheep or the goat? are you 100% sure? The uh, number on which you send your questions to uh, scriptural, scriptiruk, 0826-757-2729. Rocky, we had a, a question from Diane Banks. We're going to get to that in a moment. Another listener sending a question, an anonymous question, and I just want to get to that. Uh, is it okay? <laughs> is it okay to take out insurance on my mum? And what does the Bible have to say about that? 
Well, that's why we have programs like this, to go to the Word of God and see, does the Bible give us any uh, scriptures, any, any, any word on that? What do we answer this yeah, anonymous very, um, A very good question, and I think that many of our listeners might be interested in the answer. The Bible doesn't have a specific passage which deals with insurance, but it does have a lot of other... Now, the Bible does speak on all things. It, it gives us everything we need for life and godliness. So that, yeah. then it, it, it demands us to go and search the Scriptures to actually yeah. see what are the principles that we can apply regarding this. So, and there's, so can there's I a ask, number of principles for this. So, sorry for interrupting, Rocky. Can I phrase it this way? Is insurance a vote of no confidence in God? I wouldn't say necessarily. Um, you know, we've got to be careful with it, and I think we've got to look at the heart motives, and we've got to explore some of the other principles that right. we have. Uh, I once actually um, had a similar experience where we were, I was, I was getting married, and we 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 took out a anti-nuptial contract, my, yes. myself with my wife, yeah, and um, we we got married out of community of property with the intention of. Of putting everything in the name of my wife, All right. but there was a there was a reason behind that, and I had an older pastor that said to me, "Oh, but you don't trust God, you know, because yeah. you've now you're preparing for the worst. You you obviously don't trust God, you know. Only people that are preparing to get divorced, you know, do this yeah. out of out of community of property." And he hadn't even asked what my motive was. Yes, and I realized, um, you know, even as I was getting married, and I, I don't really hold back much when it comes to speaking the truth of God's word, and that often persecution comes the way of those that do that, and I anticipate that things are getting worse in the world, not better in the world, and I fully anticipate that, hey, well, maybe one day I get sued for something that I say because of what the scripture says, and I thought, yeah, I'm being smart, you know, if if I get sued, then at least something's in, then my family gets protected with this thing, and um, and, uh, and I just, you know, graciously said to this older brother, well, do you have a medical aid? Yeah, and his answer was yes, and I said, "Oh well, then you're not trusting God, are you? You're busy preparing for the worst, you <laughs> know. That. Well, like, you know, you you've just told me that I can't yeah. actually have some forethought with this thing, and so I think it just depends uh, a lot on on many of the other biblical principles that you you could bring to mind, and and one of them would be that Exodus twenty verse seventeen, which is the in the Ten Commandments, and you've got the sixth commandment: honor your father and your mother." that your days may be prolonged in the land which Yahweh your God gives you. And Jesus reiterates that in in Matthew 15 verse 4, in a broader section that really deals with rebuking that generation of his time for regarding the, the, the traditions of men as higher than the commandments of God. And he says this to them in Matthew 15 verse, verse 4 to 9. Uh, he says, For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of his father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever you might benefit from me, is given to God, he need not honor his father, and by this you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your traditions. You hypocrites! Rightly did Isaiah, Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And this is repeated in Mark, this is repeated in Luke's Gospel, and Paul also repeats this command, um, and he, he, he says this in Ephesians 6, verse 1 to 4, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may lo- live long in the land. Fathers, 
do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So having read a few of those passages above, and as you think through a biblical principle regarding what we've looked at, you can you can think through a couple of checklists, and you can see what does the Bible say about this. Now, one of the things that you'd think about there is, is that policy there to actually look after your mom and your dad, or is that policy there to look after you when you don't have mom and dad? Yeah. Um, that would be a principle to think through in a, in a kind of a roundabout way. If we're commanded to look after and honor mom and dad, are you doing that while they're alive, or are you pretending to do that while they're alive so that you the get, motive. you know, so that you get something out yeah. of it once they're not alive, yeah. you know, type of thing. But he has a he has a checklist that I would say you could apply to a whole variety of different decisions in your life, not just with this question, but I think that this will deal with probably a lot of other questions. And maybe a listener is is tuning in and they've got some other big decisions that are in their life. Well, he has a he has a biblical worldview as far as checklist. Firstly, check God's word. There's the the first and firm foremost point, check God's word. Does this policy, for example, now this decision of do I take out this policy, does this policy obey the commandments to honor my parents? Is the policy taken out with the intention of honoring mother and father? For example, one might take out a policy, and now we don't have too much context, yeah. but one might take out a policy like a, a funeral policy with the intention of dignifying the dead, the dead body of mom or dad. You yeah. know, there might be this real good heart intention that goes, I want to make sure that, that, that they get buried well, yeah. that we're able to celebrate proper their life, burial, yeah. that we can have a proper burial of my mom or my dad. You know, but now I'm not a financial advisor. I put that out there. I'm a pastor. But I do think much of the funeral policies in this world are filled with a bunch of charlatans. So I'll put that out there boldly. Yeah. where they rip our people off in our land. They give a price for this ridiculous price for a funeral policy, and they play off of the fears of people, and they sell it to people with this, like, well, you're not going to, you obviously don't love your parents if you don't have a funeral policy. Often, one might even receive a whole lot more money from a mainstream insurance company for the same amount of money than what the funeral policies will give. You know, they often will give you a 30,000 or 40,000 rand payout when actually you could probably get a much bigger amount as far as insurance for the same amount of money yeah. with a broader insurance company. But then you get like hooked into this funeral policy and then you try and cancel that thing and they, they're like almost uh, more difficult to cancel than a telecom contract. Oh, right. um, but however, one, one would have, uh, have to have a look at the fine print of that contract as well. Often someone wants money readily available when a loved one passes and so they might like and opt for that funeral type of policy. But you would do better often by creating a fixed savings account off of your bank account with a monthly debit order than placing that money into a savings account, eventually you probably will find that you're at that 30,000 or 40,000 rand mark and and it's less than, and you have kind of, you've got that as backup, yeah. you know, and I think that's yeah. wise prudence when it comes to these things. And I think often we lack the self-discipline and that's why we need these other companies to, de to debit us. But you could sit down by yourself, have a good 
uh, maybe go sit with one of your banks. You know, the banks want you to make a better, get better money. So sit with one of the bankers that you have that, that have a, a financial advisor freely available. Maybe even pay a financial advisor to give you advice on how to do these things and then set it up. You know, sit with an older man in the congregation or an older woman in your congregation that you can see is a wise person with this and sit down and think through this stuff. Yeah. Uh, we don't often get taught this at school, but yeah. you can. You but can you don't do have well. to reinvent exactly. the wheel. Yeah. But it's the first principle then is check the Bible. Secondly, check with your parents. You, know, you got your parents there, and this would really lead towards like some of the good counsel. But have you obtained consent? And have you spoken to your parents about the policy? Do they know you're taking out yeah, the policy? Transparency. You know, mm. if 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 you haven't, would they feel honoured by the fact that you took out this policy on their life? You know, and and I mean, this is a, I'm talking in a broad context here, not necessarily to the anonymous um, questioner. But but what kind of a policy is it, and and are you freely talking about this to your parent? The third one would be check your motives, and this is again now coming to the heart. What are your intentions with such a policy? Look deep within your motives. Why is this? Why is this important? Why are you wanting to make this decision? Is it because you're taking out this policy on your parents' life? Um, is it is it a selfish motive? You could ask. Are you starting to then hope that they die instead of live because yeah. there's going to be some payout? And we've seen that on the front pages of newspapers. No, definitely. Huh? Yeah. You know, maybe hoping to make some money out of the deal. Yeah. You know, thinking, mm. well, well, they're aged, they're getting old, oh, they have some health issues. Well, let me take out a policy quickly. Yeah. And the Bible teaches about like get rich quick schemes, and it teaches about the foolishness of that, and it shows. Oftentimes throughout the pages of scriptures, the way that easy come, easy go. And God's way of actually building wealth is by work, by slow, hard, steady work. That's what God expects us to do with the money that we, and the time and the money we have. You can get a, a couple of million rand from a death policy and it can be gone tomorrow because your heart is actually not, not in the right place. Broken systems. Mm. Exactly. So then you might end up actually wishing the life of your parents away. Because you love your money. That's a wicked thing to do, indeed. You know, listen to a passage like First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 to 11, and think through this and think through this in regard to something like this question. But godliness actually is a means of great gain. What's a means of great gain according to the Scriptures? A policy or godliness? Okay. Godliness is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. You see how you need, if you have godliness with contentment, then you got gain. That's when you got gain. For we have brought nothing into this world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And if you have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge man into ruin and destruction. What's the warning from the scriptures there? If you've taken out a policy because you want to get rich, quick, out of the death of a mother or a father, well, then you're actually doing that which the Bible speaks against. For the love of money, listen to what verse 10 says. And he actually uses this word, he uses the same word that Paul does in 1 Thessalonians 4 for the filial love that we ought to have yeah. for our brothers and sisters. He says, for the love of money. For this, if you have, if you're treating money like it's your blood family, basically, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now think about that in the context of this question. If you loving your money as though that's your family more than your mother and your father, then you've got a really wrong heart motive. You've got a problem. You've got a problem. Mm -hmm. it's for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
not money itself. Money itself is used by all of us. Yeah. Money is even something that's a gift from God when it's used rightly. It's the love of money. It's when money becomes like your blood family. What will, you'll do anything for it. You want it. Yeah, well, look at modern day, uh, the world we live in, uh, you know, and you often see it on TV. Everybody's got a price, you know. Name your price. What is yours? Yeah. And then he continues and he says, and some by aspiring to it have wandered away from the faith. This is the real danger. The real danger is not the love of the money. The, The danger is actually wandering away from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. Hey. You wow. see, see how that even fits in with what we're looking at. But you, O man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, gentleness. In the decisions that we make, surely that's a good barometer. And if we're thinking through this question, well, what is my heart motive when I'm taking out this policy? Yeah. Is it possible that the policy is there because you actually love money, not love mother and father? And you desire to get rich, even though it means the death of a parent. And maybe you even wish for that. Okay, well, well if, if this one would just peg, then I can get, so, get my bond paid off. You know, and you have, you have all of this debt. You sit with this debt and you think, oh, if only this one will die, then I can just suddenly pay this off. And and we've seen this ample times. We've we've seen it in the soapies that we yeah. watch. We've seen and, and, it in and, the, my goodness. And you know what happens if yeah. if the mother or father does die and they get the payout when they've got the money to pay off that debt, they don't pay off that debt. Yeah. They're like, oh, I've got all this money, and they squander it on overseas yeah. trips or on new vehicles or whatever it may be, and they land up even in a worse position than what they were in the first place. Yeah. Because yeah. quickly come, quickly go. I'm not learning to be wise with this. Um, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 to 6 says, Make sure that your way of life is free from the love of money. The same word, same terminology, where you've made money as though it's a blood relative. Yeah. Make yeah. sure that your life is God's free from that. challenging us this morning. You're mm. being content with what you have. Yeah. It is the opposite of this love of money. Be content with what you have. You know, enjoy the food that's on your table. Enjoy the clothes that's on your back. Trust God who's given to you. He looks after his children. Is yeah. he not the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Yeah. He is. Rocky, somebody said the other day, because, you know, the Joneses has immigrated. They've gone to, to New Zealand. <laughs> uh, but, 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 you know, we, we want to impress people uh, that we don't know with money that we don't have, with yep. stuff that we don't need, isn't it? And, and this is. And it's, and it's people that don't even like you. And it's people that don't even like you. <laughs> and, and this is, this is so true for the world we find ourselves in. Not for everybody. Let it be said this morning. There are godly men and women listening to this program this morning. Yes. Uh, who are content with what God has given them to be stewards of, isn't indeed, it? Indeed, indeed. All right. But listen to these um, these sections in, well, this next part of the section in Hebrews thirteen five to 6, where it says, yeah. make sure you have this, your, your life is free from the love of money yeah. and being content with what you have. And it says, for he himself. Why do you do this? It's because of what he has said. He himself yeah. has said, I will never desert you, yeah. nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Now think of that for a moment in regard to some of the policies maybe. Oftentimes we take out a policy because we're just so scared. Like yeah. where are we going to get the provision for this thing? Yeah. What's yeah. the heart motive? Check that principle. And then the next one would be check your, your conscience. 
that's another great principle that we have in the scriptures for any decisions, even one like this. Check your conscience in the context of not boasting about tomorrow or about your possessions um, or being presumptuous rather about the future. James says the following in James 4 verse 17. He says, therefore, to one who knows to do the right thing and does not do it to him. It is sin. sin. Mm. And I think that, that, can, that the application of that verse can go a lot broader. When, when you know what the right thing is to do and you don't do that, yeah. then it's yeah. sinful to do that. Yeah. And then what about if you know what you're doing is the wrong thing and you do it? Of course, then it's sinful. Yeah. And listen to Paul um, as he has a boast in Second Corinthians 1 verse 12. Listen to what he says there. He says, for our boasting is this. The testimony of our conscience. What did he boast about? Mm. Possessions, money, stuff? No, his conscience. That in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. Can you say the same about the policy that you take out? Is, is your conscience clear? A couple of the other principles, and this is again for all broader, it's broader than this question. Check your counsel. Check your counsel. Proverbs 15.22, without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. It's good to have a local church. It's good to have brothers and sisters. It's good to have older, wiser mothers and fathers within the context of the Christian faith. Check some of these things with elders within your congregation that God has given you. God gives elders to local churches. Speak to older, wiser believers and see what they have to say about this. You know, you don't need to be secretive. If you if you secretive with something, now of course there's there's a context to talk about some things. There's a context not to talk about other things. But if you find yourself wanting to hide something in the dark, probably it's wrong. You should get that out into the light, and you should be able to talk to this with wise biblical counselors. And you don't have it in the dark. But if there's this hesitation to speak about something, there may be a problem. Are you humble enough to receive counsel? That's, we, we ought to be a humble people. And many times, rash decisions are made without much thought to wisdom of such decisions and not taking advantage of the means of grace that God has given us in other Christians. We're meant to even be iron that sharpens iron. We have those wonderful times where we're able to spark up the truth within each other as the iron gets hot and we see some sparks fly and we're able to draw nearer to Christ and be bent into shape. The next principle would be to check with your husband. If you're a wife, check with your husband. Uh, This is presuming that that there's a wife that's wandering through a decision or something like a policy like this. Check with your husband. A Christian wife places herself underneath her husband's authority as he provides and he protects his wife. Ephesians 5, 22 to 23 teaches us that. If you're a lady and you don't have a husband to check with, then check with your father. If you don't have a godly father to check with, then go to your elders within a congregation. So God has provided for the Christian structures around you, structures around you yeah. to help you as you think through decisions or as you think through maybe a policy that you want to take out. Um, Hebrews 13 verse 7 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you and consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. And then Hebrews thirteen seventeen, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they will do this with joy and not with groaning, for this would be unprofitable to you. Now, when you find somebody not willing to submit to that, that's not profitable then to you. So all Christians ought to have biblically sound elders within the context of the local church that they can actively obey, actively submit to. 
This is commanded of them by the word of God. Now, it may be that you're battling with that. You don't really have a local church you're part of, or you don't have elders. How do you know biblical elders? Well, the Bible tells us. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, 1 Peter 5. Go find a church with good biblical elders. Submit yourself there. The scriptures are clear regarding the qualifications of elders, and it's clear about what a biblical church looks like. The problem isn't with the clarity of scripture. The problem often is with us. We're too lazy to actually go find what the scripture says, and we're too lazy sometimes to do it. And we like autonomy, and we like independence, and we like that too much. So we don't want to submit to God's way. And the Bible says there's a way that seems right in a man's eyes. Its end is the death. Destruction. Destruction, yeah. So don't go your own way. Go God's way. We make, it, we make all forms of excuses often to not go God's way. We play uh-huh. the victim. Every, you know, wherever we go, we're, we've been hard done by, etc. So let me get the, the last few checkpoints, two checkpoints left. The one is check your contentment. And we touched on contentment before. Are you happy in Jesus making the decision that you're making? Does it make you happy in Jesus? Does it fuel your praise or does it fuel your desire to have more and want more and your narcissism or hedonism or materialism? Is it glorifying to the Lord or does it fuel vain glory? How does this decision make you feel? Think about that for a moment about some of the decisions that you've made because often God shows us what was wrong by some of that feeling. Often it's as simple as what we found um, back in Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel. Remember Cain? He was angry and his face had fallen and God spoke to him. This is, this is just after his offering was rejected and just before he murders his brother. In, in Genesis 4 verse 67, listen to this. Then Yahweh said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is lying at the door and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. A good check of our decisions is this. What is it doing to your countenance? If you do well, your countenance is lifted up. If you don't do well, it will be drooped low. And so check your conscience. And then lastly, and this is the last check, but it's actually most important, and it's a check which ought to be first and last and preeminent over all the other checks. Check your Heavenly Father. Everything that you should do as a Christian ought to be wrapped and laced with prayer. That's that's the real overarching principle of all. First Thessalonians five verse sixteen to eighteen. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And what a wonderful way to do that is just to come to the Lord in prayer. Prayer is so intricate and important for the Christian and for his Christian experience. We should be in Christ, walking in God. Salvation brings that about. We're born again, and we walk with God, and we ought to do that in prayer with him. And then the last verse to wrap this up, Philippians 4, verse 4 to 7. I'm sure that you know this verse probably off by heart already as a Christian. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your, count, let, let your considerate spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So take it to the Lord in prayer, and he will help make clarity of your decisions.